question is, what are we not looking for? Another way to put it is this, are we actively looking out for God? Or are we not actively looking out for God? Because if you are not actively looking out for God, you can miss what God is doing today. Especially we want to talk about victory over sin. We cannot afford to miss God who is at work in our lives. Today the sermon is about hope in victory over sin. We need the hope in victory over sin. Because there are many people who are struggling with shame and guilt that sin brought into our life. And some have been so used to such struggles that they have accepted this as part of the norm of a Christian life. They say this, I tried, I failed. I tried again, I failed again. I tried and I failed again. So what's the conclusion? Stop trying. And they have accepted a defeated life as a Christian life. And that's not God's design for all of us today. On the other hand, there are some people, they've been driven to suicide due to the overwhelming sense of shame that sin can bring into your life. The consciousness of sin was so great for some of them that they felt condemned and they felt unworthy of God's love and death is the only way out. It is sad. And that's why I am involved in the mental health space because by God's grace, I hope to bring hope into their situation for them. You see, there is always hope in Jesus. Can I hear amen? There's always hope in Jesus. And because there's always hope in Jesus, there's always hope in victory over sin. And before we go further, I'd like to bring us to time of prayer and ask God to bring revelation to us as we unpack the scripture together. So let's pray. <coughs> Holy Spirit, we look to you. <coughs> we ask that you help us to center down. Open our mind that we may be able to comprehend the word of God and apprehend everything that comes against the knowledge of God. Lord, help us to see Jesus in this message. Hide thy servant behind the cross. Let every word that proceeds from this pulpit be the very word of God for all of us today. As we pray all this together, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, why hope? We've been on this series of hope. Why do we need to talk about hope? You see, hope is needed when the reality you wanted is not here yet. And that's why we need hope. If, if what you want is here, you don't need hope. You need hope because what you wanted is not here yet. And brother Gary shared with us in earlier, what is biblical hope? Biblical hope is the confident expectation of what is to come based on the promises and the character of God. That's biblical hope. And on that definition, I want to share with us that we can have confident expectation of victory over sin if we understand that we are pardoned from God, that we can have the perspective on God, and that we have learned to live by the power of God. You see, when we experience His pardon, and when we set our mind on God, and we live by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to realize the hope that we have in Jesus. 
Our text today is taken from the book of Romans. The book of Romans can be divided into five parts, right? Broadly speaking. So one part talks about the fact that we all have sinned and we need salvation. We need to go through sanctification and God is sovereign over us and as a result, He's calling us into a life of service. And today we are, take, we are addressing chapter 8, right? Chapter 8, which is part of the block on sanctification. The, the, verse for us, the verses for us will be from verse 1 to verse 13. But before I jump into the text itself, I'd like to help you to appreciate chapter 8. Chapter 8 is known as the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. Why is that so? Because chapter 8 talks about from election to glorification. It talks about no condemnation to no separation from God. It talks about the greatest assurance of God's love. It is a wonderful chapter. I want to encourage all of us to read it as often as you can. And are, are you ready for the Word of God? Are you ready to read the Scripture? So I'd like to get you to read verse 1 to verse 4 together. Alright? I, I was reminded earlier that I must read also, so that otherwise those of you at home cannot hear. So we'll read together. Okay? At the count of three, let's read the four verses together. Ready? One, two, three. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for, at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Thank you for reading with me. All right. Now, the question is this. In chapter 8, verse 1, it starts with, therefore. Now, why is the therefore, therefore? Now, in order for you to understand the therefore, you need to go all the way back to chapter 6 and chapter 7. Remember I shared with you that chapter 6, 7, 8 talks about sanctification? So you need to go all the way back. But to help us, I fast forward to chapter 7, alright? Just look at the last part of chapter 7. Alright, chapter 7, verse 24, 25 marks the end of chapter 7. Now before that, before chapter, verse 24, 25, Paul was describing about human struggle. He said that uh, the very thing I wanted to do, I could not do. The very thing that I don't want to do, I did. Alright, what is the thing that he doesn't want, he didn't want to do? Sin against God. But yet he finds his mortal body wrestling between the old nature and the new nature. And the climax was at verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Paul was helping us to understand the struggle between the old nature and the new nature. And he recognized that wretched man, give to men on our own, this. That's the state that we are in, wretched man that we are. Then in verse 25, there's a twist. 25 is the twist. It says that, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that on one hand, my mind am serving the law of God, and on the other, my flesh, the law of sin. In other words, who can set you free from the body of this death? Oh, very quiet. Let me try that again. Who will set you free from the body of this death? Jesus. Jesus. It's Jesus Christ has set me free. So in the light of the fact that Jesus has set him free, he said, therefore, therefore there is now no condemnation at all to do, for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
The therefore flow from the argument that because of what Jesus has done for us, there's no more condemnation for all of us. All this, how, we, how much we need to receive this assurance that there's no condemnation for our soul. Because many of us are still struggling with this sense of condemnation of our own self because of the things we have done in the past. Maybe because of an abortion, maybe because of an affair, because of some sin that you have committed. You are still living with the guilt, the pain, the shame. But today, if you have confessed that sin to God, the Word of God says there's no condemnation. See, that even sometimes when we don't condemn ourselves, some of our friends and even our enemies will condemn us. But not God. Not God. Verse 8 tells us, therefore, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 tells us, therefore, there's now no condemnation at all to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, we need to take note of the fine print, which is in Christ Jesus. Just in case you miss the fine print, I increase the font size. All right, so that you all can see. All right, when we are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Just in case you missed it, he picked it up again in verse 2. All right, verse 2, it says that for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Then he goes on to explain to us why no condemnation. Right? And there's a series of contrasts. Right, let me share with you. Let me show you. All right, so verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free right, from the law of sin and of death. How? Verse 3. For what the law could not do. You see, the law could not set us free. The law was never designed to set men free. The law was designed to point us that we have sinned. Then he goes on to tell us, weak as it was through the flesh. Right? It was not able to set us free because of flesh. Whose flesh is that? Our flesh. Our human flesh is weak and it cannot fulfill the law. Then he goes on to tell us, God did. God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Earlier he tells us there's no condemnation for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. But right now he tells us he condemns sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? Jesus' flesh. Right? God sent His sinless Son to be condemned in His earthly flesh for you and I. So that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. You see, the requirement of the law must be fulfilled because God is a righteous God. God cannot deny sin. Right? So the requirement of the law must be fulfilled and it might be fulfilled in us. Now, think not, it said in us. It did not say by us. It is by, it is fulfilled by Jesus. But it's fulfilled in us when we walk according to the Spirit. What am I saying? What I'm saying here is this, that we can have the hope in victory over sin because of what Jesus has done. Because what Jesus did 
allow all of us who are in Christ Jesus to have no condemnation from the law. It has been fulfilled. It has been paid. We have been pardoned. Just allow me to illustrate. Uh, I, want, I came with a red jacket, but I was told that my red jacket would not look nice for those at home, so I had to put back a black jacket. So just imagine with me, this jacket is Christ Jesus. When I put on Christ Jesus, when God looked at me, He saw Christ Jesus. You understand the picture? And because God saw, when, when, when God looked at me, He, he sees that I'm, wearing, I'm in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation to me. Follow so far? So long as I'm in this jacket, there's no condemnation. But does that mean that I will not sin? We will. We would, right? So what happens when I sin? The Bible tells us, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and righteous, so that He will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I'm in Christ, and even when I sin, when I confess, the Lord will cleanse me. And therefore, I will always stand with no condemnation because Christ has been condemned for me. Now, why is there a need for confession of sin? You see, we can only have victory over sin that have been forgiven. Let me repeat that again. We can only have victory over sin that you have been forgiven. In other words, if you don't confess your sin and you're not forgiven by that sin, you're still slave to that sin. And therefore, there's a need for us to confess our sin. When we confess our sin, Jesus will forgive us. Jesus will cleanse us. And we will be no more condemned by the sin. When we are in, the, when we are in Christ Jesus, we are pardoned. We are justified by God. We are made just by God. And because we are made just by God, we fight from a position of victory. We don't have to fight for victory anymore. How to have hope in victory over sin? Remember that we are pardoned from God. We are pardoned by God. There's no condemnation over us because of what Jesus has done. That's the first thing. Now before I go further, I want to encourage all of us to receive this truth into your spirit. Because the declaration of no condemnation is not just for your ears. It's not even for your head. This declaration of no condemnation is for your spirit. Therefore, even for those of you who are watching from home, receive the truth that there's no condemnation for anyone who are in Christ Jesus. Receive this truth into our spirit man today. Silent, let the truth silent the voice of the accusing enemy that's around us. Because for all of us who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Receive the declaration of truth over every one of us. We can have victory over sin because our sin has been forgiven our sin has been pardoned. Secondly, how can you and I can have hope in victory over sin? We need to have perspective on God. We need to set our mind on the things of God. Now, how do we see that? We see that from verse 5 to verse 8. Again, I'd like to call on us to read together with me. Right, ready? One, two, 
3. For those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are in accord with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Thank you for reading with me. Now you can see that verse 5 and verse 8 continue to reinforce the idea that we need to be in the Spirit. Except now, the focus, the emphasis from verse 5 to verse 8 is about our mind need to be in the Spirit. Okay, you can see that the word mind is repeated at least four times. Mind, 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 mind. Four times in four verses. All right? Again, I want to show you this is again in contrast. So I put it into a chart for all of us. All right? So it shows us that when you are living in the court to the flesh, you set your mind on things of the flesh. But if you live in a content to the spirit, you set your mind on the things of the spirit. Now, what happens when you set your mind on the flesh? Then the things that you think about will result in death, separation from God, is hostile towards God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, it cannot please God. The question for you and I is, what are these things? What are these things that call the things of the flesh? The things that cannot please God, the things that is hostile towards God. What are these things? I'd like to suggest to you that these things that will lead us to death are sinful things. Our sexual sins, our pride, our rebellion towards God, any things that are contrary to the nature and the character of God. These things will result in death, hostility towards God, because they do not subject themselves to the law of God, and therefore they cannot please God. On the other hand, if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, it tells us that you will bring life, you will bring peace, you will subject to the law of the Spirit, and it pleases God. Again, what are these things? What are these things that bring life, bring peace? These are things that honor God. These are things that build life. These are things that improve your relationship with God. Things such as the fruit of the Spirit, such as the gift of the Spirit, such as the sevenfold ministry of the Spirit, any things of God. But the more important key is not what are these things. The more important key is this. Set your mind. We need to set our mind on these things. In other words, we must think about these things. We must consider these things. We must set our mind on these things. Our perspective of life must be on these things. This is repeated again in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul said this, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if any excellent, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What's the meaning of the word dwell on these things? Think deeply on these things. Set your mind on these things. Now, why do we need to do that? Because in the flesh, we, thanks to, we tend to fill our mind with worldly thoughts, ungodly thoughts. And we need to change from the worldly thinking to the godly thinking. This is otherwise also known as renewing of our mind. 
So I make a comparison chart for you. Some of the worldly thoughts that we need to turn from, we must turn from the false news with, of the fake news to true that what is true. We need to think from the horrible thoughts that you have to what is honourable. We need to think from the wrong thoughts that we have to what is right. We need to think from the polluted thoughts to things that are pure. We need to think from the ugly thoughts that you have of yourself and others to what is lovely. We must stop blaming ourselves and others. We must start looking at the good repute, things that are commendable. We need to stop having inferior complex. We need to start having the awareness of excellence. And then finally, instead of having critical spirit, we need to have things that are worthy of praise. The question is, is that something that fulfills all eight criteria? God fulfilled all eight criterias. God himself, God is true, God is honourable, God is right, God is pure, God is lovely, God is of good repute, God is excellent, and God is worthy of praise. I was expecting an amen. <laughs> Isn't it? God and God alone fulfill all these requirements. In other words, set our mind on God. Because Paul says, keep dwell on these things and God alone fulfilled all these things. So therefore, one way that can we live our life is set your mind on God. Think about God. Look out for God in your life. Don't look out for all the ugly things in your life, but keep looking out for God and what God is doing in your life. You see, in overcoming sin, there's no point in looking at how bad the sin is. In fact, when you want to, or how hard you have tried, because if you are looking at how, to over, how, how bad the sin is, or you look at how hard you have tried, what are you looking at? You are looking at self-effort. You are looking at the things of the flesh again. So in overcoming sin, we must start looking out to God and not on sin itself. It's like when you're driving. Now just picture with me, if you're driving and you see somebody and you keep looking at that person, what will happen to your car? Piang. <laughs> you find if you keep looking at the person without you realizing, you'll find your car moving towards that person. All right? And that, that's the, the, the point I'm trying to make. The more you stare at your sin, the more you get near to your sin. Another way to illustrate this, maybe some of you, you try to overcome the addiction of durian. Alright? So you try not to think about eating durian. And you try very hard not to eat durian. And you end up thinking about... Oh, I heard somebody say senior pastor. <laughs> you get my point. The, the more you try to overcome something and you try to keep thinking about that thing, you are giving power to that thing. Whatever that thing may be. Right? So the way to overcome sin in our life is to start focusing on God. Let me give you a verse from Romans 2. Romans 2, 8 tells us this, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and the restraint and the patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? What Paul is saying in Romans is that what finally changed your life? What finally bring us to repentance? What finally set us free from the bondage of sin is the kindness of God, the goodness of God. 
And therefore, that reinforces what I'm trying to say here. You want to experience victory, you want to experience victory over the sin in your life, then start thinking about the goodness of God. Fix our mind on God. It is God, not the law, that changed our life. Fix our mind on God. Because what our mind set on matters. We must set our mind on God and on His Spirit. Because when you set your mind on God and on His Spirit, it will give us life and peace. Because it is God that will set us free. So therefore, how you and I can have this hope in victory over sin? First, we must experience that our sin has been pardoned. That God has pardoned our sin. There's no condemnation. Second, how can you overcome, have this hope of overcoming sin in your life? Set your perspective on God. Because when you look towards God, it brings life and peace to you. And then finally, the power of God. Verse 9 to 11. Can you read with me as well? Ready? One, two, three. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, this verse, this 9 to 11, helps us to see the operation of the Spirit of God. All right, you say that, however, building on the case about setting your mind on God, right, however, you are not in the flesh. Why are you not in the flesh? Because verse 1 to verse 4 already told us that we have been purchased we have been bought by God. We have been set free by God, all right? So you are not in the flesh. Now, in the flesh means that you're not under the influence of the flesh anymore. You're not under the control of the flesh anymore. But you are in the Spirit, all right? You are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives you conscience. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides you about sin and righteousness. The Spirit of God is at work. Then it tells us that, but if anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Right? In other words, another way of saying it, for all of us who believe that we belong to Jesus, we have the Spirit. Right? Some of you may notice that, eh, Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, they mean the same thing. They mean the same Spirit. Right? Then in verse 10, he says that the body is dead because of sin, because the body will be the last to be redeemed. Then it tells us that the Spirit is alive because of righteousness, our righteousness in God. But Him, and then He talks about in verse 11, He to tell us that the Holy Spirit will give life even to this body at the resurrection. Now, do you notice three times the word dwells in you? Three times in these three verses, it emphasizes the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Now, what is the, what's the writer, what's Paul trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that the Spirit dwells in us to sway us, to influence us. The Spirit dwells in us to seal our belonging to Christ. The Spirit dwells in us to save our mortal body eventually. The Spirit dwells in all of us who belong to God, who are believers of God. Then do you notice there are four if? In fact, uh, if you read the whole chapter 8, there are a lot of if, if, if. 
Why is there an emphasis of the word if? It's to tell us that even though the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we still need to exercise our choice to obey God. That flows into verse 12, verse 13. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to, be, to live according to the flesh. So then, the word so then means that from all the argument here made from verse 1 to verse 11, so then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation to who? We are not obligated to the flesh anymore. The flesh did not help us, but we are obligated to the Spirit because of what the Spirit has done for us. We are obligated to live by the Spirit. Then it says, verse 13, for if you are living according to the, if you are living in accord with the flesh, you are going to die. For is to tell us, because if you want to live in the flesh, you are going to die. But if, again the if there, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay? If you live by the Spirit, you will live. By read in greater details, by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body. If you live by the Spirit, you are killing sin in your life. Can you see that? Because it's putting to death the deeds of the body. It's very long, huh? I'm a very simple man, so I summarize for you. Putting to death means what? Kill, huh? See, deal, see. Ho, see. You kill sin in your life when you live by the Spirit. Some of you may question, Pastor, what's what some practical outworking of seeing this in my life? So how, how do you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? Now, what is the weapon of the Spirit? What's the weapon of the Spirit? In order for you to kill something, right? Put to death the, the, the deeds of the body, which is sin, what is the weapon of the Spirit? So the Spirit, all right? So we must learn to use the Word Ephesians 6.17 tells us, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How do you overcome sin in your life? The, how can you overcome temptation in your life? You need to use the Word of God. You see, when Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, all right, when the devil came to tempt Jesus and Jesus replied the devil three times, it is written. Jesus quoted the Word of God. And I believe that Jesus did that to model for us that for you and I to overcome temptation, for you and I to overcome sin in our life, we need to use the Word of God. Second thing that will help us to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit is faith in the Spirit. Now I bring you now to the book of Galatians, written by Paul again. All right? Now Paul chided the Galatians because the Galatians was returning back to the law to live by the law. And, and Paul said this to the Galatians in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? What's the answer? You receive the Spirit by faith. Then it goes on to verse 5. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracle among you do it by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? And the answer is faith. You see, why, what Paul is trying to remind them is that they receive the Spirit by faith. And God works through faith. And therefore, for you and I to move 
in the things of the spirit, to put to death the things of the body, you need to exercise faith in God. And then lastly, love God. Hebrew chapter 13, 5 tells us this. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor why abandon you. So that, you, that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will men do to me? Now, what is the enemy of love? The enemy of your love for God is another love. Think about it. What contests your love for God is another love. And in Hebrew chapter 13, verse 5, it reminded us to guard ourselves, to make sure that we are free from the love of money. Now, why, why is love of money such an emphasis? Because in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says that the love of money is the root of all evil. In other words, all the, the, the cause of all the fleshly desire comes from the love of money. And in order for you and I to, to be free from the, the desire of the flesh, we must flee from the love of money. And the way to flee from the love of money must return back to love God wholeheartedly. We need to come back to loving God. And when we love God and we love His Word, in this context, it gives us the assurance of His presence, it gives us the assurance of His help to overcome sin in our lives. Brothers and sisters, warfare is very real. Don't try to be at peace with sin. Sin plans to steal, kill, and to destroy you. We need to be ruthless in dealing with sin. These are the three major ways to kill sin in your life. But we can only operate them effectively by the Spirit. It must be Spirit-led word, it must be Spirit-led faith, and it must be Spirit-led love. In other words, we must be led by the Spirit. We must be mastered by the Spirit so that you can live a Spirit-filled life. Why am I telling you all this? Because in order for you and I to experience that hope in victory over the sins in your life, first you must understand that you are pardoned from God. There's no condemnation anymore. Secondly, we must fix our mind on God. We must have our perspective on God. We must keep looking out for God because you'll bring life and peace. And then finally, we must learn to be, be mastered by the Spirit so that you can live this power of God to overcome sin in your life. We all can have this hope. You know, as we mark, as we come to the end of 2020, I really want to encourage us, don't buy into the lie that the sin in your life will remain the sin in your life forever. In Christ, you can overcome that sin. I want to end this sermon by sharing with you my own journey with one particular sin in my life. I used to struggle with lustful thoughts. I used to struggle with lustful actions in my life. And as a Christian, I cried many, many times for God for deliverance. Sometimes I'll be so numb that I will stop trying. 
Sometimes I'll be so shameful that I, I wish that God would stop it all. Then one day, in one of those crying moments, God came through. And God spoke a word to me. And the word is broken. Broken. And when I hear the word broken, it was not a judging tone. It is not a judging word. It is a word that, that somehow helped me to understand what, what I was going through. And the Lord transported me back to my early childhood where I saw how I was exposed to sex, how I was exposed to sexual fantasy. The Lord brought me back to where it all started for me. And there and then, I've, I did not feel any sense of condemnation. I felt the peace of God. I felt the understanding of God. I felt the release from God. That very day, something happened in my spirit. Something was broken in my spirit. The stronghold of lust in my life was broken. Not by sheer willpower, not by my knowledge of the law, but by the goodness of God. I knew I was forgiven. I, I saw the goodness of God and I was led by the Spirit to encounter God. And I believe one day I will have full victory over sin because of Jesus. This is a blessed hope for all of us in Christ Jesus. It's easy to miss something you're not looking for. We need to look for God actively because God is here. And even though you may be watching from home, I want to assure you, God is home with you because only God can pardon us. Only God can give us life and peace. And only God can empower us to overcome sin.